You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, I, it's, wow, there you are. I've had nightmare dreams about this. <laughs> Actually, uh, it is really nice to see friends. Uh, my dad, who was a lawyer, said, um, don't ever take a sabbatical. That's what he said to me, because you'll never want to go back to work. And it's just not true. It's not true. I'm actually, I had a great time, but I'm really excited to be back uh, here, part of this community. Uh, I love that your mission to share hope continued on throughout the summer. Great preaching. But more than that, your ministry, where you work and your family is just around town. I saw some of it this week. I caught some of you in Starbucks and on the Burke Gilman Trail, just sharing hope in Jesus Christ. And uh, I want to be a part of that mission with you. Great summer, as I say. Uh, there were a couple of awkward moments. It was time with family, after all. Um, but there was one moment I just wanted to uh, recall for you as I begin, and it was, a, a, it was when I had to make a phone call that I didn't want to make. I knew I had to do it. It was the right thing to do, but I did not want to make the phone call. See, I, for five weeks, actually, I was down in California doing some preparation for the year in a barred house. Usually, I got around uh, on a bicycle, but one day I needed to take a car out. So I borrowed the car, uh, the owner of the borrowed house, sort of backing out of the garage, and I heard this pop and scrape. And it just did not sound good at all. And I thought, what in the world is that? Well, it turns out that when I had closed the car door, there's a very thin extension cord that got looped up and snagged in the door. So when I backed out, that cord tightened until it pulled the outlet out of the wall, <laughs> along with the adapter. <clears throat> and uh, so all of a sudden, you know, it was a barred car, it was a barred house, but I owned the outlet, if not the wall. You know, the old adage, you buy it, you break it. And I thought, okay, geez, now this is my outlet. What am I going to do? Well, I told you before, I'm not all that handy. And um, you've heard my stories about plumbing. I've always drawn the line of electrical work for my family's sake. Um, but I did go online because, you, you know, what can't you learn that way? I watched a YouTube video and I actually did the repair myself. So it looked fine. Except I had to own it. I had to tell the owner that I had broken, and I was reluctant to do that. <clears throat> because, as it turned out, the owner was my father. <laughs> and I'm just being really honest with you. I'm like, what is that so hard about that? If it were you, I could have called no problem. I wouldn't have worried about it at all, right? If it were a landlord or somebody. But because the owner was my father, and I had to tell the story of doing something stupid, something inside me was recoiling, and I waited as long as I possibly could before making the phone call. And then I confessed as quickly as possible, and I said, but it's all fixed and everything's fine. Right? My dad at the time was not there. He was on vacation, and it felt to me like I was having to say, my father, who art in Idaho, <laughs> I've committed a great trespass. Um, and it, afterwards, this was a, on a Saturday, and I processed this all day long. I thought, what does this tell, this is my reluctance to make this phone call. Tell me about myself. What does it tell me about the structure of my soul? What does it tell me about the way that I was raised? What does it tell me that the way I see myself, that the last person I want to come before is a person who I know loves me and I love deeply, and yet um, I would have to admit or risk uh, disappointment. And I didn't want to do this. So all this made me think about my relationship with my Father in Heaven and, um, and why I pray, why I sometimes don't pray or want even to come before God. So I made the call. I did the repair. Everything was fine. My dad 
was very cool with it. And uh, this week, actually, I called him and I said, so dad, I'm, th- I'm thinking about what happened there and what it tells me about myself. What happened for you when I made that call? What was going through your mind? And he's like, nothing. It was, that was no big deal. I mean, you know, you, you took responsibility, you fixed it. I, you know, I, don't, I didn't really care about it. It was nothing. And I thought, really? Because it was big for me. And, and then he said, I just put it in perspective. And I guess after 52 years of being a dad, you have pretty good perspective. And my dad's, he's got good perspective. And so it, and I thought, okay, that's, that's what I want prayer to do in my life. I want it to put things in perspective, the broken things, the scary things, the shameful things, the pain of my life and the pain of the world. And I think that's why Jesus gives us this gift, to help us see life upside down through the love of a God who sent his only begotten son to save the world. So I want to come to prayer in this way. I have to admit to you, as I thought about prayer, and I read a couple books over the summer about prayer to get ready for this series, and I prayed a lot, that there were times where I frankly just got bored with the whole idea of prayer. And if you told me we're going to do six weeks on prayer, I'd go, oh my gosh, I'm bored already, right? Why? Four reasons. First of all, whenever you talk about prayer, I feel guilty because I don't do it enough. Secondly, I feel too busy because I don't have time for it. Um, thirdly, I'm honestly not always convinced prayer works, so I don't do it so much. And fourth, anytime you or pastors or books or whatever talk about prayer, they always tend to focus on technique, like how you're supposed to do it. It's an alphabet soup of acrostics, you know, all the steps you're supposed to take. And I hope, you know, I get it right. And really all that, what that's doing is just throwing me back on myself, creating for me just a new law. You can call it Jesus, but it doesn't feel like Jesus at all to me. I don't experience grace in it. So I'm, I'm a little bit dismissive of prayer, uh, or messages on prayer, and yet I am convinced that prayer was at the, at the essence of Jesus' spirituality. Jesus had deep convictions about prayer. We read in Mark, uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 16, that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That's an invitation. I want to know, what does Jesus know that I don't know about prayer in lonely places? So I want to dig with you then into the Lord's Prayer, because if you want to know what true spirituality is, if you want to know at least what Jesus' spirituality is, the Lord's Prayer has to be the place to look. I mean, it's recorded in two different places in Scripture. Uh, He must have taught on it several times and in different ways, and so let's not be surprised by the wording variations. In Luke 11, his disciples come to him and say, Jesus, we see you in these lonely places, and you come back energized. What are you doing? Teach us to pray. And then here, where we're going to look at it today, Matthew chapter 6, it's the center of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is on his own. He says, let me tell you about the conversation that I have with the Father. And after all, for Jesus, that's what it is. It's not a discipline. It's a relationship. It's not a practice. It's a lifestyle. You might be praying more than you realize already, even though you're not maybe kneeling down or setting aside the required however many minutes, at the required time of day or what have you. Jesus has this organic, rich conversation with the Father. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about this perspective 
Uh, would you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 13? And that's, uh, pull the black book out. I'd love to have you read it with me. It's on page 787. Matthew 6, 7 through 13. This is what we call the Our Father. Uh, some of us refer to it as the Lord's Prayer. This is it. So if you're able, would you stand? Let's read aloud together as an act of, of worship. And when we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. So that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen closely, you're reading his holy word. Jesus says, When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words, blah, blah, blah. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. Let me say it quick. So you catch it right at the front, and you can go to sleep if you want after that. Here's what fascinates me about this prayer. When you pray, Jesus is praying with you. I'm going to show you that. When you pray, Jesus is praying with you. If you're the type that likes to take notes, write that down. Jesus prays with me. Jesus prays with me. If you don't take notes, please just say it to yourself right now. And quietly, just say to yourself, Jesus prays with me. You want, you can nudge the person next to you. You can say, even you. When you pray, Jesus prays with you. But this is what Jesus is inviting us into when he gives us these words. In particular, the words, our Father. Think about that. I mean, I'm a human being. You're a human being. Jesus is a human being, but he's also perfectly and completely divine. He is, as the Creed teaches us, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. The only Son of God is Jesus. And yet he says to you, when you pray, you say, Our Father. Whoa. That should make your head spin right off the bat. Well, you're going to meet the Son of God in your prayers, praying with you, if you pray, our Father. Why? Well, let's think about how Jesus would have understood this two-word phrase. Let's ask ourselves, first of all, what does it mean to say Father when we pray? Father. Fifty years ago, exactly, there was a landmark article that was written that noticed that Jesus only referred to God, except for one instant where he quotes Scripture as Father. This was Jesus' name for God, Father. This scholar also argued that nobody else ever used that name for God, how unique it was. It expresses a kind of a scandalous intimacy. And all of that is true to a point, except that more recent scholarship has shown Jesus didn't seem to make this concept up. He seemed to get it from reading the Old Testament, his Bible. There is an antecedent for this concept that God is Israel's father. Let me take you back. If you remember your Sunday school, um, Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4, Moses is having a regular day, walking by any old bush, and all of a sudden it ignites. It's not consumed. This is curious. So he stops. Then he hears a voice. This is more curious. 
And then that voice identifies itself as the ground of all being. This is God. Notice how God refers to himself with Moses in Exodus 3 and 4. First of all, he says, Moses, I'm the God of uh, your fathers. He's not saying, I'm your father. He says, I'm the God of your fathers. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Jacob, uh, Isaac, and I'm the God of Jacob, which is a very traditional way in Judaism of referring to God. But then, as we get to chapter 4, he says, I have a message for you, I have a mission for you, and when you get before the Pharaoh, I want you to say, Israel is my firstborn son. That's the first time in the Bible where this idea of God's son comes up. Israel is my firstborn son. Now, if you remember that story, you remember Moses had some trouble with that conversation. I mean, we could say he was praying because he's in conversation with God. And understandably, his trouble is, uh, is justified. He starts to hem and haw. He starts to say, no, 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 no. This is not, this can't be. I mean, first of all, bushes don't talk. And second of all, you know, I, I'm washed up. I'm 80 years old. I'm on the lamb. I've, I'm AWOL. I left your people back in Egypt as slaves. Uh, I'm, I'm here as a, uh, an ex-con. I'm a murderer. I can't even speak well. I've got a speech impediment. You don't mean that I'm your son. And you don't mean that I'm sent by you with a special mission to the most powerful man on the planet to tell him that he has in slavery a people who are your son. God says no to his no. That is exactly the mission that God gives Moses. And it is in his prayer that he is to discover that God feels very strongly about his son, Israel. He's to go back to Egypt. He's to stand in the midst of the pain of the Israelites who have cried out to God and say, there is hope for you because your father is God. And then he's to stand in the king's court and say to Pharaoh, no, I say to you, no, you may not have the son of God as your slave. I don't know what words he would have used, but can you imagine how awkward that is? <clears throat> Mr. Pharaoh, uh, I have been sent with a message and I just want you to know that these slaves that you have, they're actually uh, someone's son. And that person really cares about. Actually, they're not just anyone's son. They're the son of a king. Actually, it's not just any king. It's the king of heaven and earth. And actually, this son is the firstborn son. This is the heir to the throne of all creation. I mean, this is the, the, the one who commands the armies of heaven or will soon. If you're the Pharaoh, you got a little heat behind your collar at that point, And you understand how the Exodus narrative unfolds. God claiming Israel as his son. So here's what I want you to see. I mean, yeah, there is intimacy implied here, and it's rich. But there's not sentimentality in this phrase, father. When you say father, you are praying with Jesus, his prayer, and Jesus is portraying himself as a new Moses, a new Israel, a rescuer, one who says to slavery, wherever it's found in all of creation, no. You may make a claim on these people, but there is one in heaven who makes a greater claim on this people, and that one in heaven claims them as his daughter, as his son, as his beloved children. You're praying with a rescuer. So I, I think when you and I pray, uh, we're to say, in essence, when we say, Father, no. We're to say no to no. We're to say no to the chronic discouragement that many of us face. We're to say no to the 
the shame that we don't know what to do with. We're to say no to that nasty word cancer that's been spoken over our heads by somebody in a white coat. We're to say no to violence, no to trafficking, no to grief. There's this greater claim. See? So I'm praying now with a rescuer, and I don't have to accept the terms that are presented to me when I'm enslaved. I got this great letter from one of you, and I'm so sad. I mean, life goes on, and I, um, we had a member who got diagnosed with lung cancer, and it's breaking my heart. I called her this week, and she sent me back this very sweet um, email. And you can see she's joining the resistance, the insurrection uh, of the, the, the Father. She says, I can attest to the Spirit's power to actually interrupt and corral dark thoughts and fears that hit me, especially in the early morning during the radiation series. So she's saying no. Somehow, in his grace, Jesus has seen to it that I'm not victimized by this assault, that his voice overrides the negatives and brings peace. I can't conjure up the comfort and assurance of Jesus' presence, but I recognize it clearly in many moments of the day and night. It has been sustaining me in this strange new journey. I've been the recipient of the Father's love and mercy in these last weeks to an extent I've never before experienced. I've not liked the expression, prayer works. But I can attest that even with all the mystery surrounding it, prayer is, in fact, a real connection with God who made us. It does, it does make a difference, a life-giving one. So she's looking lung cancer in the eyes, and she's saying, no. Jesus, the rescuer, prays with us in those kinds of prayers. I believe he's saying to the Father, Oh, Father, oh, our Father, free that boy. Oh, Father, free that woman. Oh, Father, free her neighbor. Oh, Father, free his son. Oh, Father, free their city. Free their country. Free that world that you've made. The problem is, many of us at times have gotten very comfortable with the very things that enslave us. We really like them, and if we're honest, we're not sure we're ready to be freed from them. And yet, to these things as well, our rescuer, when we pray and when we claim a father, says, no. My case, I hear the Father saying no to self-pity, no to pride. We hear him saying no to our greed, to our exclusion, our false attempts at intimacy, our addictions. No, 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 no. I love you too much. My heart is too big. My jealousy too great for you. Father. What does it mean then to say our when we pray? Father, it helps us to see that we're praying alongside of Jesus, our rescuer. What does the hour help us to see in Jesus? Notice this. Jesus never taught his disciples to say, my father, in prayer. That's interesting to me. He doesn't teach his disciples to say, my father, perhaps because he always means us to understand ourselves in community with one another, and it's used as a corporate prayer. But I think there's even more than that behind the word our I think Jesus knows that you and I cannot, in ourselves, by ourselves, address God as my Father. Because by nature, God is not my Father. Independent of any mediator, God is not my Father. The fact is, you and I have made a lot of bad decisions in life. We've made decisions that a true son or daughter of God would never have made. Let me explain it this way. I had a really weird thing happen that weekend that I pulled the socket out of my dad's garage. Um, this was sort of spooky, weird. That was Saturday. I called him on Saturday. And then on Sunday, 
Um, I went to the beach, did some reading. The phone rang when I got back. I pick up the phone, a very familiar voice, not sounding super chipper. It's my son, one of my sons. I say, hey, how you doing? He goes, fine, reflex. And then he says, well, um, not so good. What's going on? He goes, I did something really stupid. Really? What happened? He goes, well, I was working with super glue and too much came out and I went to look for a rag and by the time I cleaned it, the rag stuck to the glue and the glue made this huge gnarly mound and I've been trying to fix it and, but I haven't been able to fix it and so he showed me, he was on FaceTime and showed me and he said, that um, scar is on your stand-up desk, right in the middle. Oh, I know this is silly, but I love that stand-up desk. It's my favorite piece of furniture. It's, it's mahogany. It's beautifully polished. And right in the middle is this gnarly, burning, white, lumpy gash right across the thing. And I'm going, you're kidding me. You know, so, so here's a moment where, I, you know, dads, what do you say? Okay, what do you say? Why in the world didn't you do that outside? Why were you doing that in the kitchen? Why didn't you use newspaper? Why didn't you clean it up immediately? You know, that's what I wanted to say. But in a moment of inspiration, do you know what I said? See, I had spent the last 24 hours thinking about why was it so weird and so hard for me to call my dad and what I really wanted him to say to me and what I feared he would say to me. I, I was really kind of, I was ready for this moment. And so I said, son... I am really sorry this happened to you. I mean, stuff like this happens, and I can tell it's really upset you, and I'm bummed out by that. I can tell you did a nice job trying to fix it, and uh, this is just making your heart heavy. I'm, I'm sorry. And he's like, what? <laughs> and I was like, what? And then uh, later in the day, Ann, who was still really wound up about the whole thing, called me back, and she said, because she was, I was down in California, she was up here, and she said, she was steaming, and she said, so what did you say to him? And I said, I told him, I told her what I said to him. She goes, what? <laughs> and then I told her about the socket thing and all that, and I said, I, I don't know, I, I guess it's just that I've, I've come to the conclusion that our relationship is more important than a piece of wood. And she went, oh. <gasps> She's like, I could tell she was writing that down. <laughs> like, not because it was so profound, but she'd never heard it from me before. Yeah, our relationship is more important than a piece of wood. And you know what? That's perspective. That's the perspective of a father who really loves a child. I think in a moment there, I kind of got a, an, um, a peek behind the curtain. I, I got I to look at the back end of prayer from the father's perspective. And I saw that even though I've made a lot of bad decisions, when I come before this father, I come before a gracious father who makes this absolutely unique and surprising, really bizarre, great decision to encounter me in grace, not according to my nature. And I think the whole coming of Jesus, the whole project, is really the father expressing his heart and providing us a representative who will draw us into this family, Father, Son, and Spirit. So you're praying, yes, with a rescuer, but a particular kind of a rescuer. You're praying with a, a representative, the perfect child in the family, the firstborn son who has come to do everything right for you so that you could come before the Father in him, not indirectly, not directly, but indirectly, always with a vicar or a representative, a mediator, 
If you and I have any relationship at all with the Father, uh, any mutual relationship with God, it's only because we have a representative in Jesus Christ. I love the way Karl Barth says when he writes, we must admit that we have no right to address God as Father, to be His children, or to approach Him in this way. I mean, he is our Father, and we are His children in virtue of the natural relationship which exists between Him and Jesus Christ. In virtue of that fatherhood and that sonship, we are his children, and he's our father. In virtue of the new birth accomplished at Christmas, on Good Friday, and at Easter, and made effective at our baptism. A new birth, that is to say, a completely new order of being, a life entirely different from what our human potentialities or merits could produce. We ourselves are always, and always will be, a prodigal son, who claim no rights save the one given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The splendor and the certainty, the very greatness and majesty of our God and Father are manifested in the fact that we stand before him without power or worth, without real faith, and with empty hands. And yet in Christ, we are God's children. This is the good news. Jesus shares his relationship with the Father with us. Let me be your representative. So when we pray our, we meet Jesus praying with us, and we're praying with our representative. He's now saying yes. He's saying yes to God. He's saying, God, yes, she's made a bad decision, but she's my sister. And she's saying yes to you. Yes, you may have made a bad decision, but yes, you're his daughter. Jesus, as the elder brother, comes before the father saying to the father, haven't I paid the penalty for the sins of the world on the cross? And the father says, yes. And then he says, haven't I lived the perfect, obedient, loving, worshipful life that you want all of us to live? And the father says, yes. And then Jesus looks at you and says, she's with me. He's with me. And if you're his brother or sister, then you're God's son or daughter. And Jesus does it. Jesus does it. So when you pray, our Father, you and I join Jesus in prayer. He's there interceding with us. He prays as a rescuer. He prays as a representative. And I want to say to you this morning, don't try to say our Father until you are ready to say no to everything that enslaves you and this world. And don't try to say, our Father, until you are ready to say yes to Jesus. He's our Savior. Well, I, my kids have just all left last week. We put three of them in three different airplanes, and they've flown back to school and work. And, and this is a time of year when many of you students uh, leave home, and many of you parents will sit by your telephones waiting for a call. Right? Any of you put anybody on an airplane this week or about to? And you're going, how long will it be before they call or even text? And for some of you, it'll be like 15 minutes and it won't be pretty. But for others of you, it could be weeks before you hear from that freshman or even sophomore. That insight, that new perspective behind the curtain helps me see how my father awaits my prayers. He sits by the phone, and he's not sitting there angry at me. He's not sitting there disappointed at me. He's not wanting to put you in your place 
or to put you in any place. He's not wanting to change you or fix you. He's actually just wanting to love you, to bless you, to welcome you home, to honor you as his beloved child. That's good news. I think for me, that changes everything about prayer. Now I want to do it. I want to be in conversation with that kind of a father. Well, let me close this by telling you finally about that stand-up desk, because I know you're going to want to know what happened to it, right? <laughs> Actually, I did a little sanding and very carefully, I made a repair. And then I pulled out my cell phone, and if I realized if I could take a certain lighting from a certain angle, I could get a picture of that desk that didn't show the mark at all after my repair. And I sent that to this son uh, back at school. And I said, look what I did. I fixed the decks. And now it's just as good as new. And that was a little bit of a stretcher, by the way. <laughs> because if you rub your hand over it, actually, you can still feel the scar. You can still feel the bump. And for me, though, now, that's better than new. Because every time I feel that scar, I run my hands over a scar that reminds me of the palm prints of my Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave his life to rescue me as his representative, and who opens up his hands in the finest prayer ever uttered by a human being on the cross and said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Let's pray. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, O God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're a privileged people. Your word just reminded us today that we are, we are not orphans. We are not as those who do not know the history of Israel and your faithfulness throughout the generations to rescue. We are not those who do not know the story of the cross, the new exodus, where ultimately we are freed from our sin and from death itself and invited into the new creation that you're doing in us, through us. We pray that you'll make us a people of prayer. Just humble, simple prayer to commune with you, to join our Savior on our knees, him at your right hand interceding on our behalf, full of your Holy Spirit, working within us the simplest of all messages, just a single word if need be, Abba, Father, Daddy. Pray it in your name and with you, Jesus. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.